This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Investigators for the auto industry did determine with proof that the ammonium nitrate cartridges within the Takata airbags did lack a material to absorb moisture. That led to the cartridges inflating early, especially in higher levels of heat and humidity. In addition, it also appears as if Takata may have falsified data on its airbags. To take a look at these latest developments, we're joined by Wharton's John Paul McDuffie, joins us on the phone, as does Richard Dasher, who is the director of the U.S. Asia Technology Management Center out at Stanford University. Richard, John Paul, great to catch up with you both again. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Great to have you both. This is, uh, John Paul, The, sto- the it, it, no surprise, I think, the story that keeps on giving. Uh, your just reaction, I guess, we'll get to the, the, to the physical, actual data collected by the... Uh, by the uh, uh, the auto industry, but just the the stories that are out there that Takata falsified uh, falsified data. Yeah, there have been some some rumors of this and and reports from former employees and the like. Uh, this appears to be much more confirmation of that. And so, you know, with this whole Takata story, there have been first of all one aspect is more and more recalls of more and more vehicles. Another is trying to figure out what's at the root cause of the problems with the explosions, and we've also had some progress on that. And then the final is how much was Takata covering up things that they knew and therefore allowing this to become a much bigger magnitude problem. Richard? Yes, uh, I'm kind of amazed at the relationships between Takata and the auto manufacturers uh, because this problem did start about 15 years ago. Uh, and I think that I'm not too surprised by the technical findings of the study, and probably nobody else who's really been following this is either. Uh, but it is rather amazing that the automakers did not sort of enforce more changes in Takata's way of doing product development. They've already been assessed penalties uh, because of the problems that begin with. Are they looking at more in your mind, Richard? Well, the big cost is the cost of the recall itself, which is now extended to as much as 70 or 90 million automobiles. So uh, they're already in the stage where even if the automakers and Takata divide up the costs, it's going to be extremely painful. Uh, Takata is going to have to have some sort of a bailout in order to stay afloat. John Paul? Uh, Yes, uh, absolutely. The the costs uh, for Takata, the, just the huge magnitude of having to replace these inflators. Um, there's the additional complication that some of the replacement inflators they've been using still possess this ammonium nitrate, um, because Takata's claim for a long time has been the problems are with manufacturing and with moisture getting in, not with the propellant that we use um, in the airbags. Uh, but increasingly, nobody's buying that, and uh, and Takata's being told not to sell anymore. Uh, you know, air, new new product airbags with uh, that propellant, and they may be told not to make any replacements with it either, which will further slow down their ability to comply with you know with producing the volume that's needed for the recall. And, and go ahead, John Paul. 
I'm sorry, go ahead, uh, yeah, uh, Richard. In that regard, Honda and Nissan had already said that they were not going to use Takata airbags as replacements. Yeah. They were going to source their replacements from other companies. And so, um, yeah, I think Takata's in incredibly deep water. And if they did do the cover-up, now we're talking about criminal penalties. Well, and the fact that they would have to, they have to make these repairs, uh, the auto industry does one way or another, that process alone, how long does that potentially take? I mean, as I understand it, the, the big constraint is simply manufacturing enough uh, of the inflators to, to do the replacements. Then, of course, getting the vehicle owners in to, to do the job. But, um, you know, Takata hasn't had the excess capacity to do it, although they have added some capacity. And Takata's competitors um, are picking up more orders from car companies, but they're also being asked to help uh, produce inflators for the repairs, for the recall repairs. So, um, you know, it's not easy to, to make a whole lot of manufacturing capacity for these very technically complex uh, products where there's a lot of safety procedures even in the manufacturing process because you can have explosions in the airbag plant as well. It's not easy to to very quickly create a lot more global capacity yeah. to deal with this crisis. Now, explain for the listeners the the process of the compound that they're talking about that really needed to be added to the inflators themselves to begin with, which caused the original problem. Well, as I understand it, the, 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 the reports that came out just this week, and I agree with Richard, there's not really any big surprises there, but it yeah. maybe is somewhat confirmatory because you had this group of 10 car makers that, uh, that hired a firm that mostly does, really does rocket science um, with rocket propulsion systems to do a test. And then in Germany, there's the Frauenhofer Group, which is a very uh, a well-respected uh, technical organization that did their own study. Um, so you've got the fundamental question of whether this particular propellant, ammonium nitrate, is, is too dangerous for this purpose. And uh, there seems to be, you know, more and more weight that that's, the, that that's the right conclusion. Most of Takata's competitors don't use it. Then there's the issue of uh, including, when you build the airbag, uh, a desiccant or a moisture-absorbing a set of, you know, you, you get these little uh, square packets of things mm-hmm. when, you, when things arrive uh, in the mail that are to pick up moisture during shipping and that kind of thing. Um, so whatever version of that they were using, uh, most of the Takata designs had the desiccant included, but some of them didn't. So those <laughs> models are particularly at risk because they don't have something absorbing the moisture. And then finally, there were periods when the manufacturing process was uh, substandard or where materials were exposed to moisture because they weren't in a air-conditioned, uh, humidity-controlled environment. And tracking down which products were made at the times that the manufacturing conditions were wrong is also tricky. So, so you just have years and years, massive volumes, 10 different models of Takata airbags, and then this variation in when manufacturing problems were occurring. And um, that's part of what makes it really hard to track down the ones that are most urgent to repair first. That was going to be my next question, is that is this so expansive at this point that basically all automakers that have Takata airbags in, in any kind of their vehicles need to put out a recall for that just to, just to be safe at this point? 
Yeah, well, that's the kind of thing that gets to the numbers that Richard mentioned of, of 70 to 90 million. Yeah. Um, I was just looking this morning uh, at a, there's a nice blog on um, Car and Driver, which is a timeline of this event. And, you know, anytime there's a new news announcement, they would have a little uh, paragraph on it. And it's just this amazing saga going back to 2014 of every couple of weeks, uh, another set of vehicles being added to the list. Yeah. And the numbers just kept getting higher and higher. And usually it was based on uh, these vehicles are owned by people who live in high humidity places, so we have to bring them in, or we think we know, um, you know that these vehicles were particularly exposed to the manufacturing problems. But once you just say any Takata airbag with ammonium nitrate is potentially risky, then you get to these massive, massive numbers. And, and then how to prioritize is, is really a, a hard issue. It's it's interesting because I, actually I just flipped over to Car and Driver and there's an interesting article that talked about uh, a, a former employees uh, told Reuters that as many as 285 million Takata inflators, you know, could need to have have a recall. I don't. I, we're not at that point at, at that total number, but we're we're very much you know close to 100 million at this point. Correct, John Paul. Uh. Yes, and I've, I've, at this point, have a little trouble keeping track of which calculation produces which estimate. Yeah. Um, I have seen the numbers as high as that, um, between 260 and 285 uh, million. Uh, that's their worldwide production between yeah. 2000 and 2015, and about half are in U.S. vehicles. So I guess the other thing is we mostly focus on the story in the U.S., but Takata is a global producer, and, and these inflators are everywhere. And, of course, in Japan, Japanese government has said don't sell ammonium nitrate anymore. And as Richard mentioned, a lot of the, the automakers, which have really stood by Takata as they stand by most of their suppliers, mm -hmm. are starting to bail out and say we won't, uh, we won't use your products anymore. Richard, I guess in it's... Fact, in, uh, go ahead, Richard. Honda has told its dealers in the U.S. not to sell car models that might be affected. Yeah. Yeah. Richard, I guess the other interesting piece to this, and it's something we had brought up on the show uh, about a week ago, is there has been uh, this perception for such a long time that everything kind of linked to the Japanese auto industry is so well done, so well manufactured, and now we've had the Toyota recall uh, a couple of years ago, and now we have this, although it's not an auto uh, maker, it's a piece of the auto industry. How do you kind of sense the the whole Japanese auto industry at this point with these two massive events really in giving them a black eye? It does give them a black eye. I think that um, in Japan, my sense of sort of the cultural background of engineering is that people tend to really engineer for perfection and fault avoidance. And what you've really got is a need to engineer in a way that also includes fault tolerance. Um, and I think that their product development people were not really paying attention, communicating well enough with their uh, own quality assurance and safety people. Um, Takata uh, authorized its own independent third-party investigation that's separate from the one that just came out that was sponsored by the automakers. Yeah. And they came up with a lot of quality improvements in the process that... Um, Takata really needed to make. And so I think what you're seeing is you're seeing the kind of close, really personal relationships that exist between suppliers and manufacturers. 
really kind of becoming something where nobody really wanted to admit something was wrong. John Paul? Yes, I think that's uh, that's exactly right. And and you know, another way I've been thinking about this is that the other manufacturers of airbags who decided not to use ammonium nitrate concluded that it, there were too many risks and it was too hard to manufacture in a way that would, would reduce those risks. Takata was confident, I think, in not only their engineering but in their manufacturing expertise and in being able to tackle any quality problems and improve. That's another hallmark of the, of the auto industry. So uh, with that confidence and perhaps even the support of their customers in Japan, they may have felt like, well, other manufacturers can't handle this ammonium nitrate, but we can, and we'll prove it to the world. And so, you know, they started using it a long time ago, and for seven, eight years, I think there there weren't any examples. I may not be exactly right on that timing, but there there weren't any examples of problems. I think all of the explosions that have caused death or injury were in inflators that were over seven years of age. Mm-hmm. So this problem wouldn't have showed up really quickly. So then you have the challenge to that engineering culture and confidence as well as the, you know, the risk of, of embarrassment and, and, and criminal prosecution when the problems begin to emerge. It's, it's uh, not surprising that companies uh, sort of want to block out any evidence that these deeply held beliefs in the rightness of what they were doing were were wrong, as well as wanting to hide wrongdoing. Uh, John Paul, do you think we will see at some points similar to what we saw with Toyota? Will we see Takata personnel testifying before Congress? Uh, well, there there has been already some testimony, uh, and there may be testimony again. I know it's it's pretty common to see statements from uh, senators and congressmen uh, expressing dismay about the, you know, every week another new recall and still signs of not eliminating the root cause. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a family um, company. I mean, the, the, the founder was, um, was a legend in, in Japan. They did have a non-Japanese uh, executive for a while, CEO for a while, uh, he resigned somewhere in the middle of this uh, last year and a half or so of, of scandals. And now we're hearing from uh, Japanese executives who I think are very uncomfortable with the uh, intense public exposure uh, of of the U.S. media and, and in general and haven't done a great job of, of representing uh, Takata in terms of, uh, you know, either... Uh, recognizing the magnitude of the problem, feeling badly about what's happened, or taking action aggressively to fix things. What do you see, what do you I see Roger? I have to agree with uh, John Paul. Uh, I think that Takata hired a uh, crisis consultancy in late 2014 and uh, has done a little bit since then, but uh, their own corporate communications has been very insufficient. Um, and they're clearly uncomfortable. There was a meeting in late January between them and 10 of their major customers. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was really expecting the major customers to say, this is how we're going to move forward. We're going to force Takata to reorganize. Right. And there was just no news that came out of that meeting. Why, why not? I mean, I mean, that would seemingly be the time where you would be able to make changes and, and really get the process going forward. 
My guess is that they never got past the point of talking about how to pay for the recall. Mm. Yeah. And the automakers didn't want to pay the full cost. Takata didn't have the money to pay the full cost. We're talking billions of dollars. And I think that um, the only glimmer on the horizon that I saw is uh, one of the banks that has lent Takata a lot of money, Sumitomo Mitsui Bank. There was one report this year that they might support Takata if the company fails. Mm. John Paul, and, oh, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, finish up, Richard. I'm sorry. No, that, uh, that's really uh, what I have at this point. The kind of silence that you hear now <laughs> echoing loudly yeah. is probably an indication that they're trying to see just how big the problem is and how to pay for it. <laughs> I, don't th- I don't even think they need to worry about that at this point. They, realize, they have to realize that it, this is a massive issue. And, and basically, I, it sounds like, Richard, that their company is pretty well done unless they get some sort of bailout. I don't see how it could continue. Uh, actually, it's interesting to contrast. Honda uh, took its CEO out last year, and safety issues was one of the reasons that they said they replaced him. This past week, Honda has had a major uh, shakeup in, of other positions in its board. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost thinking, I mean, this is my um, guess, that what they've done is they've replaced their board with people who are probably have less uh, association with Takata. John Paul? Uh, yes, I mean, that, that makes sense to me. I, I think we are in a position of, of looking for little clues because, uh, as Richard said, there wasn't any big announcement that came out of that meeting. Uh, one expectation, of course, was that the CEO would resign. And that didn't happen, whether the CEO didn't offer or the big customers felt that that might be more disruptive. It's, it's, hard, it's hard to say. It's, it's not too surprising, knowing the close and long-term relationships between these automakers and their suppliers, that they would try to work out a lot of these problems uh, quietly and privately rather than um, in the public eye. Uh, but, of course, the... The automakers in Japan are now trying to separate themselves from Takata, both in actions. You know, we're not going to use your airbags anymore. We don't want to use your replacement products for the recall, and in in other ways as well. So I think we're probably seeing a, a shift from a period when the big customers, the big automakers, were inclined mostly to support Takata publicly, but privately press them right. to now a public separation which may lead to the big event, the big resignations, the big uh, restructuring, the outside financing that gets us through uh, at least the replacement during the recall. Does this also, in some respects, because this was a, a, a supplier to so many automakers, John Paul, does this really make the auto industry think about other suppliers that they have? I mean, I'm sure they do their due diligence or, you know, on, on everything, but when you have... A company like this that is so massive and supplies so many people, if I'm the if I'm the CEO of a company, it does make me think twice about the process, about you know who we are dealing with, and 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 double and triple checking, even if there is an extra cost to that. Yeah, I mean it'll, it'll be interesting to see if it if it uh, starts to affect what has been a trend for really many years now in the auto industry. Uh, 
Well, Japanese companies for a long time tended to work with a small number of suppliers they were very close to, and of course, at one point they were Kairetsu, they were they had cross shareholdings um, in those companies. But in the U.S., for many years, it was common for a big company like GM or Ford to have thousands and thousands of suppliers and to pit them in competition against each other. And, you know, from year to year, maybe to switch from one supplier to another based on uh, whoever offered the lower cost. And over time, the view came to be that uh, managing all those supplier relationships, switching suppliers so often on the basis of cost, was bad for quality, was bad for cooperation in during product development, was bad for, you know, many things. And so pretty much all automakers in the world started to move towards the Japanese model of having a fewer number of suppliers, having bigger contracts with them and longer-term relationships with them. So add to that a technical component like airbags, which is hard to make, yeah. and there aren't that many choices, um, add to that also that you have these platform strategies where car where car companies build many many different models on one platform, and the uh, the volume of a component that's given to a single supplier has just grown and grown and grown, and so it's one reason all these recalls are so big, even if it's for something that's much more minor. Uh, the the auto companies are buying these components in millions and millions, putting them in lots and lots of models. If you get a problem with that component, it immediately is a huge recall. Yeah. Richard? I think that's an excellent point, especially a complex system like the airbag. Those kinds of relationships were um, even closer than they were with, say, something very simple like making windshield wipers. And so uh, the companies that were involved in that did have to have a lot of trust. They couldn't be uh, completely checking each other's technology out all the time. But um, I think that we will see the automakers now having much more independent third-party confirmation of uh, quality to protect their own liability if for no other reason. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.